I want to talk to you about this. Peace in the storm. Peace in the storm. I don't know. I could preach this series for five years, and that's still not going to prevent tests, trials, and tribulation from coming into your life. So, there's one thing you need to always remember for the rest of your life. Above everything else, when negative things happen, when things don't go your way, when you feel aggravated, fearful, or insecure, there's one thing you've got to remember. You have to hold on to your peace. If you don't have peace, you can't hear from God clearly because your emotions are taking over and your soul's telling you what to do. You have to have peace. If you don't have peace, you don't sleep good at night. Um, if you don't have peace, you wake up in the middle of the night and your mind starts going 90 miles a minute about things you got to do, things you messed up on, things you do the next day. If you don't have peace, you can't get your work done uh, in the manner that they're paying you to do. You get caught up with people that are gossiping and you call people talking bad about the boss because you don't have your peace. You need your peace. Yeah. It is the most important thing in the world. You've got to have peace in your home. You've got to have peace in your relationships. You've got to have yeah. peace in your mind. And I dare say, and I don't know if you're going to agree with this, you might in 30 minutes, but I dare say that maybe only half of you know what it's like to really have peace that passes all understanding. I mean, when you have peace, when you finally get to that place of peace, and you know you're serving God, and you know you and God are okay, and you know that no matter what comes your way, you, 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 you'll do anything to, to not sacrifice your peace. If someone offers you a million dollars to lose your peace, you won't take it. If, if, if you find the most prettiest person in the world to date, but you know you're going to lose your peace, you won't date them. You'll do whatever it takes when you get that peace to hold on to it forever. Um, one time Jesus was with his disciples and he told them in Mark 4.35, let us cross over to the other side of the lake. In other words, he said, I want to do something new in your life. I want to take you somewhere exciting. I'm going to give you a new revelation. You're going to be with me. Everything's going to be fine. But then all of a sudden in verse 37, it says a furious storm arose of hurricane proportion. Hurricane Hugo showed up when they were there with Jesus. Here, I'm sure they're thinking, did we hear him right? Did, did, did he really tell us to get in this boat with him? Because there's a lot of bad things going on around us. Are we sure we're in God's perfect will? It seems like if I was in God's perfect will, obeying exactly what he told me to do, this wouldn't be happening Come in on. my life. But it was happening. And they were in God's perfect will. And so they're getting all upset. They're frantic. They're, 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 they're putting stuff on Facebook. I need you to pray for me. And people say, why? Oh, just pray. I'm not even going to talk about it. I'm just going through a storm. I'm, I'm going to let you guess. I'm going to let you guess how bad it is. I need everybody to pray for me. What was wrong? I stubbed my toe. I just, it's so bad, you know. In verse 38, they woke Jesus up. First of all, Jesus was asleep. Talk about peace. He was asleep. They woke him up and said, we're about to die. I mean, life sucks. It doesn't get any worse than this. Jesus, we're about to die. And Jesus stood up and he spoke to the storm and he said, peace, be still. And the storm ceased. Before we get into our three points, there's some things I want you to see about this story. <clears throat> I want you to understand this. God is in control of the storms. Amen. Now, we know he's in control of the sunsets. We know he's in control of the sunrises. We know he's in control of the butterflies. We know he's in control of the goosebumps we get in the middle of church. But God is also in control of the storms. It seems like the devil's in control sometimes. 
It seems like your boss is in control. It seems like the government is in control, but you don't need to worry because God's in control. The question is, are you on the side of the person who's in control of the storm that's in your life? Now, I personally want to be on the side of the one who's in control of the storm in my life, but God's in control. Here's the other thing. Uh, God never spoke about the storm. The disciples did. They told everybody on Facebook, I'm going through a horrible time. They called the administrative pastor in the middle of the night. I need you to pray for me right now. Why? Oh, it's so bad. You won't even believe it. Jesus never spoke about the storm. He spoke to the storm. Now, I think there's a level of Christianity where we go from children of God to sons and daughters of God. When we get to the place in life where instead of talking about the storm, we talk directly to the storm. Come on. Spoke right in the storm. Here's the other thing I want you to see. Peace is not the absence of storms. Peace is not the absence of war. Peace is not the absence of peace is waking Jesus up in the midst of the storm. That's what peace is. Uh, let me say it like this. Peace is not the absence of something. Peace is the presence of someone. In other words, if you don't have Jesus in your life, and if you and God aren't, aren't, aren't good today, you'll never have peace, no matter where you're at. Let me read you three scriptures back to back. Isaiah 9, 6 says this, And he shall be called Prince of Peace. That's Jesus, Prince of Peace. Galatians 5, 22, The fruit of the Holy Spirit is peace. There's the Spirit peace. And the first Corinthians 40, 33, God is a God of peace. Listen, I got you covered either way. Jesus, Holy Spirit, and Father, they're all peace. But if you don't have them in your life, if you are not walking on their side and walking in their way, you'll never have peace. In fact, you know, the disciples woke Jesus up, right? John 1, 1 says that Jesus is the word. The word became flesh. You might say they woke up the word. Come on. You might say in the midst of the storm, they woke up Come the on. word. Next time you get up in the middle of the night from all that anxiety and stress and fear, wake up the word. Come on. Get your word out before you call five people, before you let your mom know that she needs to pray for you again, before you go through all those emotional measures. Why don't you first wake up the word and see if God doesn't take care of that storm in your life. You know, in 1945, the United Nations was established and they had one major goal, and that is peace. But not just peace at that time, peace for generations to come. They're not doing a very good job at what they were established to do. Here's why. God's not in the midst of it. You can never, I don't care how many counselors you go to, I don't care how many self-help books you read, I don't care how much money you have in the bank, you'll never find peace apart from a relationship with God and that relationship being whole. You'll never find peace. Um, you know, because of the Bible, we have 6,000 years of recorded history. But just secular history is 3,500 years, okay? Just secular history. So just on secular history alone, not Bible, just secular, 3,500 years, there has been 14,351 wars. That's an average of four wars per year. 3.6 billion people have died, not just from like a bomb or being in war, but they've died in strife. They've died fighting. Um, up to 2010, there's been around 8,000 peace treaties signed. Guess how many peace treaties have been broken? 8,000 of them. You know why? God wasn't in the present. God wasn't in the midst. God wasn't there. Um, there's a certain spirit, a certain demon that loves to come into your life and bring a bunch of other demons with him. And that demon is called uh, strife. It says in James 3.16, where there's strife, there is every kind of evil. 
In other words, when you start with strife and you bring it into your relationship, in your home, in your marriage, at work, whatever it is, it always comes along with bitterness, hatred, anger, jealousy, animosity, uh, the sin of comparison. It brings all these other demons along with it. That's why the Bible says we got to stop strife immediately. Come on. Never let it go. Never let it go. Five minutes, ten minutes, not even one day. You got to stop it immediately. Come on. Come on. Um, if you're out in a boat in the middle of the ocean. You can look for miles and miles and see nothing but water everywhere you look. And that's okay as long as the ocean doesn't get inside of the boat. Once what is on the outside gets on the inside, you start to have problems and the boat will sink. In the same way, you may be surrounded by gossip at work, stress on the news, anxiety in your home, all kinds of things going on in relationships. But the, the key is don't let it get on the inside. You may be in a storm, but don't let the storm get inside of you. That is the key in going through tests, trials, and tribulation. You have to make sure whatever's going on on the outside doesn't get on the inside. Because the inside is where peace lives. Jesus lives in here. So here is peace. And no matter what's going on in this relationship here, with this problem here, with this doctor's report here, my goal is to not let those things... Get on the inside, because if the water from the outside gets on the boat on the inside, I'm going to sink in life. Okay, so that's the goal. Okay, three points for you today on peace. Ready? Everybody say, oh yeah? Oh, yeah. Number one is this, peace with acquaintances. Acquaintances. Now, an acquaintance is somebody you kind of see at work, but you're not close to. Acquaintance is maybe a Facebook friend, maybe a, a relative that lives far away, something like that. Romans 12, 18 says, do everything possible on your part to get along with everyone. Everything possible on your part. Now, sometimes the greatest thing that you can do to get along with certain people is to avoid them at all costs because they are peace stealers. They try to bait you into conversations that you should never get into. They try to get under your skin. They want to talk politics with you. They want to intentionally annoy you because here's why. Their heart has the wrong things in it and they want to spread it to you. So if you want to do everything possible on your part, sometimes you have to avoid people like this. Um, at work, listen, you don't have to hear all the juicy gossip. On Facebook, you don't have to comment on everybody's page. If it's something you disagree with, Unfriend them, unfollow them, get away, turn off your phone. Don't comment. I cannot believe the things Christians say. And it's like you're just trying to get that jab in. If I could just, just let them know how I feel about this. Don't do it. Do everything possible on your part to get along with everybody. Um, I have not worked in the secular world for 20 years, right? But my mom and my sister and my brother tell me that it's horrible. They, you know, they work in nice businesses, hospitals, doctors' offices, but they say that people cuss at each other. They say that people will talk down to each other, demean each other. They'll say that there'll be a group forming here and they'll be against the. I cannot believe that stuff happens in jobs where people are getting paid to work. This past week, I was asked to be part of a, a men's business meeting in Myrtle Beach. There were some very wealthy, influential people there, and the guy in charge was the wealthiest of all of them, and he was given the meeting. During the meeting, he's dropping F-bombs. During the meeting. And I'm the only one that's shocked. And he knew I'm a pastor. And I'm just sitting there and I'm thinking, is anyone else, am I, is, he, is he saying Chuck? Like, is there a guy named Chuck here? Like, what's going on? What is he saying? 
So finally, I, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm just like, I said, oh, I said, hey, I said, um, if you keep saying that, I'm going to have to charge you $5 every time and I'm going to give the money to my church. He stood up, opened up his wallet. He handed me $100. He said, this is what I've already said and this is what I'm going to keep saying afterwards. I thought, you jerk. And then I thought, keep cussing. Say whatever you want to say. Bleep, bleep, bleep all day. And we, we got $100. Honest to God, that's exactly what happened. I shouldn't have said anything. And here's why I shouldn't have said anything. We should not be shocked when non-Christians act like non-Christians. We should not fall off our chair when somebody who does not serve Jesus has a lack of integrity. That's just what people do who don't have the Holy Spirit conviction on the inside. Um, in, my, in my sports car, I have a spare tire in the back. And it's not because I'm expecting a flat tire, but it's there just in case it happens. Don't go to work expecting people to be mean and rude and cuss at you. But just in case it happens, you need to always put on your shoes of peace. Ephesians 6.15 is the armor of God. These are not your shoes. They're his shoes that you get to wear. Don't leave your house barefoot. If your boss cusses at you, it's okay. I'm wearing God's shoes of peace. In other words, I bring peace. You may not have peace, and you may not have peace, but I'm going to have peace in my life. If your kids forget their lunch, you got to turn around and go, it's okay. You're wearing your shoes of peace. If your pastor offends you, it's okay. You come to church, you're wearing your shoes of peace. Never leave home without them. Um, when I'm watching the Coastal Carolina football games live there, you know, in the stands, I love to complain because Will's wife is usually with us. I love to say, why did they go down the middle? You know, I don't know nothing about football, but I know this. Don't go down the middle. Go to the left, go to the right. Don't go down. Am I right? No, I don't know. But every time, and it's so easy for me to say that when I'm sitting 100 feet away from any problems. I have M&Ms in one hand. I got a beer, I mean, a Pepsi in the other hand. And I'm thinking, well, don't go down the middle. Now, it's easy. But if I had eight seconds to think about it, I have 12 300-pound men, three feet away, whose job is to knock me into the ground, it'd be a lot different, right? Okay, you don't know what the people in your life are going through behind the scenes. You don't know the horrible things happening in their heart, behind closed doors, with their family, especially if they don't have Jesus in their life. Oh, how we should show them more mercy. Oh, what we should do, what we can do to be a light, to let them see, hey, I got peace. You can cuss all you want to. You can be strife-filled. I have peace in my life. Um, Nehemiah had this promotion to be in charge of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Great promotion. He's up on a ladder working his heart out. This is what he was hired to do. But there were two yo-yos that he worked with named Sanballat and Tobiah. Nehemiah 4.1 says that Sanballat and Tobiah ridiculed me saying, what kind of wall can you build? A fox could knock it down. They called him names. They threatened him at work. They made fun of him. The message translation says they talked about his mama. The Sakasti translation says that they told him, your mama's so stupid, she went to the dentist to get her Bluetooth fixed. I mean, it was just horrible. Finally, in verse 3, he said, they sent me a message saying, let us meet together in one of the villages. But I told them I'm doing a great work and I can't come down. Nehemiah was such a great leader because he knew that was a distraction for what I'm getting paid to do. 
I only have a certain amount of energy each day. If I waste it on a sand ballot and Tobiah on Facebook in person over the phone, Come even on. if I waste it, I won't have the energy that I need to spend with my family that night. I only have a certain amount per day. Nehemiah knew I'm not getting paid to gossip. I'm not getting paid to complain. I'm not getting paid to hang out with them. I'm getting paid to build a wall. I'm going to give it my best, put my eight hours in, and then go home and be with my family. Don't let sand ballots and Tobias get on the inside of your heart. Uh, this one uh, New York taxi driver was driving a businessman to a meeting one day, and all of a sudden, another car runs a red light and practically, you know, comes inches away from destroying this taxi. I mean, it was just a big mess. The guy that ran the red light rolls down his window and shakes his fist at the taxi driver, cusses him out, flicks him off, and the taxi driver who did nothing wrong just smiles and waves at him as he goes by. The businessman in the back seat was sweating bullets. He said, what in the world just happened here? That guy almost ruined your taxi. He could have killed us. And you just smiled at him? He's cussing at you and he did the wrong thing. The taxi driver said, oh, it's okay. I've learned about the law of the garbage truck. The law of the garbage truck states that throughout the day, some people go around and they collect the wrong things. They collect trash of disappointment, discouragement, anger, bitterness. And as they're going through their day, they're looking for somewhere to dump all their trash. Sometimes they'll dump it on you. Don't take it personal. It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with them. Just smile, wave, and wish them well. Because successful people don't allow garbage trucks to ruin their day. If you allow a garbage truck to dump their trash on you, listen, you have now become a garbage truck. And then you're going to go home to your family are you going to go out with one of your friends? Are you going to hang out with your boss for a little bit? And the slightest thing's going to bother you. And now you are going to dump all that trash that was poured into your heart on somebody else. Avoid garbage trucks at all costs. Romans 16, 17. I urge you, friends, watch out for those who cause divisions. I warn you, turn aside from them and avoid them. Point number two is this. Peace with your family. I wish, I wish I could press a button and for just 10 seconds have this anointing to speak a hundred times greater than what I have. If I could do that, I would spend those 10 seconds trying to find the right verbiage to get this point across right here. The most peaceful place on planet Earth should be in your home. That should be the place that you long for. That should be the place that you can hear from God so clearly. That should be the place that you just can't wait to sit back and relax. Unfortunately, it's not like that for a lot of people. Unfortunately, some people avoid their home because there's strife. Some people have this anxiety in their home because of the atmosphere there. Do whatever it takes. Hire a painter to paint the walls a different color. Get rid of the knickknacks from Target and put up pictures of your family or your children or, or scripture verses. Do whatever it takes for your home to be a place of peace. Whatever it takes. If you got to hire Dr. Phil to fly in and come to your house and say what needs to be said, do it. Do whatever it takes. And listen, if you're a parent, never argue in front of your children. Never. I don't care if they can't understand what you're saying because they're so young. They can't understand spiritually. 
Never argue in front of your kids. Never say anything negative to the other one in front of your children. Never demean each other, ever. Ever, ever, ever. It's the worst thing you could ever do, and I'll prove it to you. Matthew 12, 25, a house with internal strife is continually brought down to destruction. It starts real small, the Bible says in Proverbs. It starts like a, a, a leaky faucet, and then it turns into a, a, a dam that explodes and just destroys the place. Let me give you an analogy of what happens when you allow strife into your home, okay? Here's the analogy. Ring, ring. Satan? Yes, how are you? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, the door to our house is wide open. Just come on in. Just come. Listen, we're, just come anytime. You, oh, there's some other demons that want to come. Yes, bring all the demons with you. Our children's bedroom, yep, their door's open as Yes, we've been fighting in front of them. Yep, their door's open as well. Bring all the demons you want to into their bedroom as well. That's exactly what it's like when you let strife into your home. There's nothing worse, nothing worse than strife. It destroys. If you continue with strife, I promise you, you will be divorced. I promise you. Trust me. Let me tell you something worse than divorce. If you let strife in there, you'll be married and lonely. And you'll live with a roommate. You once said vows to them 20 years ago, and now they're your roommate. And your goal is just to, okay, you buy the groceries, and I'll pay the car payment. And you get this finished, okay, it's done. There's no hugging, no kissing, no loving, no sweet, no romanticism, nothing like that. Strife destroys all of that. This past week, just a few days ago, um, Micah was in the kitchen one day, and I came up behind her, and I gave her a big hug. And I whispered in her ear, and I said, do you know what a great husband I am? I did say this. I said, do you know how many things that you do that annoy me and aggravate me, but I never bring them up because I love you so very much. After I came to, I discovered, I did say that. Do you know as godly as I am, as spiritual, I read my Bible every day for hours, as much as I love Jesus. Do you know there's a lot of annoying things that I do? I said, I'm anointed. You said, no, you're annoying. You know, it's different. <laughs> but she covers it. You know why? Ephesians 4.2 says this. Bear with one another and make allowances out of love. It's so funny to me. The ones that we're supposed to love the most are the ones that we show the least amount of mercy to them. The ones that we don't care about, uh, we just forgive and let go. But the, the person that's actually serving me, the person that serves me, that's the one that I'm going to gripe with and argue with and condemn and point out faults. And you don't do this right. You don't do that right. That's the one. No, 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 no. The one we love the most are the ones we're supposed to bear with the most. There was this um, husband and wife that had a huge argument. Big, I mean, it was an explosion of strife. They yelled back and forth. It was just a heated battle. Finally, they started to cool down. But neither one wanted to say, I'm sorry first. It got so bad they were giving each other the silent treatment deluxe and neither one would concede they went through the whole day not saying one single word to each other they finally went to bed that night and the husband didn't want to be the first one to talk so he got a little notepad and he wrote on there please wake me up at 6 a.m i have a very important meeting and he handed it to her the next morning he woke up at 9 a.m he was furious he jumped out of bed ready to scream at his wife and he looked on his nightstand and there was a little note that said Wake up, honey, it's 6 a.m. I 
I'm going to tell you the number one thing to do to have peace in your home and to get rid of strife. It's godly, it's biblical, and it's directly from the Holy Spirit. You ready? Listen real close. Shut your mouth. Just shut it. Don't say okay. Don't say I'm sorry, honey, because even sometimes the way you say I'm sorry, you say it in a way, just let them know that you're better than them. Don't say nothing. Don't say we need to pray. Don't say the second you feel that strife spirit start to come out. Don't say a word. Be quiet and walk away. Nothing. Not a thing. Not a single peep. Now I'm going to read you a scripture. And during, during, while I read this scripture, some of you in your soul, you're going to argue with me. You're going to argue and you're going to say, but sometimes we need to point out. Nope. Well, sometimes you got to talk. Nope. Sometimes you just need to. Nope. I'm going I'm to read, and you're going to try to think, well, I don't know if this scripture always applies. It always applies, okay? Ephesians 4.29, let no unwholesome talk ever, everybody say ever, yeah. come out of your mouth, but only say what is good and beneficial to the spiritual progress of others, that it may be a blessing to those who hear it. And here's one translation that says this, and say it at the right time. Do you know that you can say the right thing, but say it at the wrong time? Now, you, you, you can disagree and not have strife. It's okay to not agree. It's okay. Um, don't let anybody walk all over. I'm not saying that you're a doormat for your spouse or someone to walk all over. I'm not saying that. You should always get to share your heart. But you should share it at the right time and in a way that it is, it is, is progressing and it's a blessing. In other words, you might have to work at it between you and God before you open up your mouth. You may have to write it out, type it out a dozen or two times before you get the verbiage correctly. Because no matter what you say or what needs to be fixed or what needs to be addressed, it can be done in a godly way if you're willing to work at it. Otherwise, don't say anything at all. I'm just curious, by a show of hands, um, in the past three to six months, how many of you have heard the voice of the Lord say, shut up? Okay, how many of you actually listened? Yeah, some of y'all, your spouse is looking at you saying, you liar. <laughs> Disagreement is not strife. When you have to have the last word, that's strife. When you're negative in any way. Well, why can't you close the door every time you do? I've asked you ten times, you know what? It's okay. Bear with that love. Why don't you go to bed when I go to bed? Because I'm not you. Well, why don't you eat like I'm not you? Why don't you watch? I'm not you. Why don't you read your Bible like I'm not you? You're you. I'm me. When you try to force your convictions on somebody else, that's strife. Those are your convictions from the Holy Spirit. Let the other person be and grow. You know, there's things I want to change about you. You give me a list for me, I'll give you a list for you. And we can go about it the rest of our relationship. Or we can love each other and put up with each other in love. The choice is totally yours. Now, what about extended family? These are the people that you don't see every day, but they're on your phone. And you just, and these are the people that when they come up on your phone, you think, oh, just what, what can I tell them today? Can I hit if, Will they know if I'm, you know, if I, if I hang up, what's going to happen? So how do we handle this? Um, Abram, Abraham and his family, uh, they were going to this new land because God told them to. But Abraham's nephew, Lot, said, well, we want to come. And so he brought his family as well. Once they get to this new land, it wasn't big enough to maintain everybody. So in Genesis 13, 7, it says there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram and Lot. Verse 8 says in one translation, Abraham dealt with the strife immediately. 
Why did this great man of God deal with it immediately? Why didn't he pray about it for two or three weeks? Because every second you let strife continue, it is destroying that relationship. And Abraham knew, I love my family too much to let strife destroy it. So I've got to do something. I've got to take care of it. Um, Abraham knew if it continued, they would no longer be friends. They would no longer. So Abraham knew, we've got to come up with something. If we don't, it's going to destroy everything. And I love you enough to come up with options. Everybody say options. So in verse 9, Abraham said, let us separate for the sake of peace. Choose any part of the land you want, and I'll go the other way. In other words, here's the option. I'm going to let you be right. You say I owe you $10. I think I owe you $5. I'm going to give you $12 just to have peace. And, and here's some options. How about we just talk on the phone the first Sunday of the month? How about that? How about we just see each other on Thanksgiving and Christmas? How about we just text? How about we, um, we read a, a book together, and that's what we talk about when we're on the phone. Whatever option you can come up with, but don't allow someone to continue. I, I know you know people that, that, that they just bring you that little bit of anxiety. When you get off the phone, you're not as joyful as you were before. When you get off the phone, you just feel like you're frustrated with your kids and everybody around. You just need a break. Those type of people you got to separate from in a godly way. You're not mean, you're not cruel, you're not cutting them down. You're just, and I'm, I'm, I don't know how you're going to say it, but I'm helping you process. In your mind, you're processing it like this. My heart's just not healthy enough. I, I'm doing my best to serve God, but right now, I just don't have what it takes for us to talk on the phone three times a week. So um, we're going to have to cut back a little bit. we got to separate. Um, a few weeks ago, um, there was a couple that I didn't know was uh, upset with me, and I found out they were, and it's because a few years ago, uh, they, they served at church and they were a nice couple and did great. But behind the scenes, they caused me so much anxiety and they just stole my peace every time. And I literally, there were times where I was not enjoying coming to church. I literally thought, oh, just, just if I can avoid them, everything will be fine. And I did my best to please them and make them happy. But my best wasn't good enough. And, 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 and it, just, it just blew up one day and they left and started going to another church. When they went to the other church, I immediately felt peace again. And I just had this great excitement to come back and lead and serve. And I thought everything was fine because we weren't seeing each other. But I discovered through the grapevine, they're still upset about things that happened years ago and whatever. And in my mind, I'm thinking I should be the one upset because, you know, we always think that. So anyway, a few weeks ago, I called them up and I said, I'd like to meet with you and your pastor so that I can just repent for everything and anything that I've done that's ever hurt you, anything I've done wrong, I'll come with a list and you can even add to that list. And they agreed. So I met with, with him and the pastor and I shared my, I said, I'm sorry for this. I'm sorry for I should have done this better. I was acting like a friend. I should have been more of a pastor here. Uh, I should have had more mercy here. I should have, I'm sorry. I'm, please forgive me. I said, is there anything else? And they added to it. Well, you did this. I said, oh, you're right. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. I apologize. Now, the whole time I'm thinking in my head and when I have a meeting like this, my mind is this, I'll always come to the table with 100% humility, but I expect at least 50% in return. In other words, I expect you to let me share my heart after you're pleased. We'll go, over, we'll go over hours of everything I did wrong. I mean, days if we have to, but once we're done and you're pleased and you, you feel good and there's peace, then it's my turn. And so I'm in the meeting and, I'm, and it's going great. I'm winning their hearts. I mean, their hearts opened up. Everything's beautiful. Uh, the peace is just there in the room. And, and, and I hear God say to me, shut your mouth. 
I said, but get thee behind me, Satan. It's the first thing I said. But then I thought, no, no. I said, but, I said, but God, it's going to be my turn in a second. So I said, but God, I've been, please God, I've been waiting this whole time. I've been apologizing for an hour. It's my turn. So I said, well, God said, how often are you going to see them? Maybe twice a year. Then shut your mouth. You're not in relationship with them. They're not your best friends. You're not hanging out. You don't work with them. You separated already. Let them be right. So I got done with the whole thing. And they even said to me, I said, y'all feel good? They feel good. I said, and they said, they said, is there anything, John Paul, you'd like to share? <laughs> no. <laughs> I've let it all out. It's good. <laughs> we're good. No. I said, no, it's all good. I forgive. You know, we're, we're great. We're fine. I left that meeting. They were so happy. I wasn't that happy at first, but I got over it. I did. I wasn't. I was upset, but I got over it. And guess what? There's peace. And I don't ever see him. So who cares? Right? So Abraham was supposed to have best pick of the land. But he told Lot, you have whatever you want. I'll go the other way. Because Abraham let Lot be right. In verse 15, God said this. Everything you see, I'm going to give you and your children. In other words, for the sake of peace, you were willing to do whatever it took. You separated whatever it took. You left me right. I'm going to bless you and your kids. Point number three is this last point. So quickly, peace with God. Uh, this sounds like one of those preacher points, but I could not get away from it. I just I, I could not get away from making sure everyone in this room has peace with Almighty God. Never put off peace with God. I don't care what sin you're entangled in. I don't care what drugs you take to try to alter your mind. You'll never have peace. I don't care what kind of money you're going after. Or you'll never have peace without a relationship with God. You never will. Never. Don't put, I've been to too many funerals lately to allow you to put off making peace with God. Uh, Philippians 4, 7 says, The peace of God which surpasses all human understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do you, know, do you even know what it's like? Can you even remember the last time you had perfect peace? I mean, can you really remember, if you're, if you're watching the news, you don't got peace, okay? But can you remember the last time you actually a place in life where you're just at peace? Now, I'm not saying you're not struggling financially, but you're honoring God financially, so there's peace. I'm not saying there's not a storm around you, but you've woken Jesus up. He's with you. There's peace. I'm not saying there's not any trouble around you. I'm saying inside, you have peace everywhere you go. Uh, this is a thing I'm sure you've seen on, on, on church billboards and Facebook, but it's hokey. But after you turn 40 years old, you're allowed to use hokey things in sermons, okay? And it says this, no God, no peace, N-O, but no God, K-N-O-W, you will know peace. I love that. Isaiah 26.3, the Lord gives perfect peace to those whose mind is stayed on him. If, if, if you don't know the person, how can your mind be stayed on the person? If you're not in a relationship with the person, how can your mind be stayed there? Uh, the Israelites left Egypt. They were so happy. God delivers them. They get to the Red Sea here. And all of a sudden they turn around and Pharaoh changes his mind. Do you know that God has not delivered you from Egypt only to let Pharaoh kill you a few years Trouble. later? Trouble. God has not taken you this far only to drop the ball and say, I'm Trouble. done with you now. Trouble. But we think that. We, yep, God did this in my life and this in my life. But now I'm at the Red Sea. Ooh, what's going to happen? You know? Exodus 14.10, when the Israelites saw Pharaoh, they became full of fear and they cried. Oh, I gotta get on Facebook and let everybody know to pray for me right now. <laughs> you know, this was 4,000 years ago and the same thing happens to you and me. 
God delivers us and we cry and get full of fear when something bad happens. So Moses shows up in verse 14 and says, listen, fear not, stand still and watch this. See the salvation of the Lord. That sounds good. The Egyptians you've seen today, you'll never see again. That sounds good. The Lord will fight for you. That sounds great. Now here's the word we love to skip all through the Bible. If you, if you, here's your part. If you hold your peace and remain at rest. They got their peace back. The Red Sea opened up and the enemy that was behind them, they never saw again. You know, sometimes God will take you through a storm to get rid of that thing that's been chasing you. That toxic relationship that's been texting you all the time. God will take you through a storm if it means getting rid of it. That insecurity that stops you from hanging out and being part of Bible groups or whatever. Yeah, God's going to take you through a storm if it means getting rid of it. And you'll make it through the storm, but guess what won't make it? That thing that's been hindering you all those years. That's what storms are for in life. I'll close with this. Um, I read about this painting contest that took place many years ago. And uh, these high school students were told to paint the most perfect picture of peace. And they would win something at the end of the contest. And there were beautiful pictures of sunsets, you know, and sunrises. And there was a picture of a log cabin where the snow had already fallen. Uh, there was a picture of a fireplace in a living room, you know. Uh, they had pictures of like a barn or, um, you know, out in the meadow with the wind blowing in the grass. But the picture that won first place of peace was this, this picture right here. There's just, it's like a storm raging. There's just, you know, water falling everywhere. It's just this, this, this mighty, the wind's blowing and it looked like the opposite of peace. But there's a place in the cleft of the rock. I'll show you with this picture here. And in that cleft of the rock, there's a mama bird with her outstretched wing over her baby birds. And this is what won the most perfect picture of peace. Being surrounded by chaos, but being covered up by the wing of your parent. It says in Psalm 17, 8, God will hide me under the shadow of his wings. Remember, peace is not the absence of storms. Peace is knowing that God is with me in the midst of the storms. That's peace. Amen.